to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. Kaylee, so you had the interview this week. You interviewed Jeff Schiller, Chief Revenue Officer at Group 9 Media. Group 9, pretty active right now. They just uh, had the SPAC IPO, or they spawned their own SPAC, and that went public. Group 9 Media technically did not go public. Were you able to dig into the SPAC of it all at all? Um, we weren't able to really talk about that on the episode, but it is important to kind of note because what they're looking to do with that is enter a phase of like um, M&A and look for new opportunities to grow the company um, at the beginning of 2020 they had acquired pop sugar so that was their first kind of step into this like uh, i don't know modern era of MA for the company um but they're definitely looking to grow we couldn't talk about it because of sec rules um but yeah again important to note government red tape all over um <laughs> but the spac at some point group nine will merge into the spac and they have also said they're going to acquire another company that'll basically like fold into group nine. Everyone wants to be a conglomerate these days, including mm-hmm. group nine. It seems like the kind of thing that's going to help their business. Um, what did Jeff say about like the business priorities for group nine right now, how its business is doing? Yeah. So in the episode, we do talk a lot about their advertising strategy and how they are trying to appeal to partners and clients uh, across all of their um, media brands and Really, while they have these endemic focuses, they're really trying to get advertisers to partner um, across the dodo. Now, this, um, you know, all of all of those different brands and different endemic focuses. So this will just give them more variety to sell advertisers on. Um, and we also talk about some of their other like horizontal focuses that aren't really brand specific, um, multicultural, um, social, corporate responsibility, things of that nature. This will just give them more leverage um, when they're going to market and uh, you know more scale in theory equals more ad revenue. Table is set for the conversation. So Kaylee, I'll let you take it away with Jeff. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Kaylee. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. So you were on the podcast about a year ago at this point. Um, and at that point, you had just kind of joined the Group 9 family. Um, and I remember in that podcast, you had mentioned a lot about um, the very vertical-focused um, sales team that you were building and constructing. And I thought it would be good to kind of start out by um, talking about how that, like, sales team format has been working uh, about a year in and uh, you know whether or not you see that as a strong path forward for your ad sales business yeah absolutely and what a year uh, it's been it's I think at that point the biggest uh, challenge I was looking to overcome was the integration of two enormous companies and then right after that sort of settled. We had obviously the advent of, of the pandemic, but, um, from that perspective, to answer your question, we went from an agency services, excuse me, an agency, uh, setup into a vertical setup. And so the priority verticals that we built around were the financial category, the pharmaceutical category, quick service restaurants, liquor, media slash entertainment, CPG, food and Bev, tech, telecom, pet care, retail, beauty, travel, auto. So uh, a wide mm-hmm. swath. I would say uh, it's been really successful in the in terms of the pivot 
it really allowed for us to go very deeply into those categories and create this dynamic, which I had touched on a year ago around going for share with endemics. So obviously, each one of our five brands will have expertise that would warrant an endemic spend, whether it's the Dodo and Pet Care, Pop Sugar and Retail, et cetera, et cetera. But then mm-hmm. having this all boats rise moment where we can leverage retail is a great example where we can leverage the relationships that Pop Sugar might have pre existing and then say, okay, there's going to be a big box retailer focused on pets. We bring in the Dodo. There's going to be a big box, big box retailer focus on corporate social responsibility. We can bring in now this. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So um, that proved itself to be really, really uh, successful for us. It allowed for us to lean into um, insights for each one of our five brands and go can, proactively to market in those two ways of going for share and going for the all boats rise. Um, additionally, it allowed for us to really merge the needs of the editorial teams with the marketplace. And examples of that are the multitude of consumer-facing launches that we endeavored upon, uh, including now this kids' family-focused programming, which was uh, done in partnership with Cheerios, the Dodo Well, which is our pet health and wellness vertical, which uh, was done in partnership with Petco. We relaunched our fitness vertical on Pop Sugar in partnership with Under Armour. I wanted to ask too, obviously, because as you mentioned, 2020 was a, a really wild year to be in your first kind of year since the acquisition and the merger and implementing some of these strategies around your sales. Um, I guess, can you talk about how uh, the ad business was impacted? Um, at the same time, I know you guys have launched some pretty unique um, sponsorship initiatives around some content packages and IP and things of that nature. But Everyone, I think, was, you know, across the board impacted to a certain degree when it comes to ad um, spending. So I guess, can you talk a little bit about like, you know, 2020, how that was for Group 9? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Certainly the pandemic threw a curveball to us all, as you mentioned. From our perspective, you know, corporately, when we go to market, we talk about how Group 9 has the most optimistic, fast-moving deeply connected brands that matter now. And and certainly you could say, oh, that's pithy and that, you know, that's corporate speak, but it really played out in what was the wildest of years in a lot of ways, uh, the most tragic of years, the convergence of social unrest, civil unrest, political unrest uh, with the pandemic, a once in a generation uh, experience. And so I think from that perspective, everything that I mentioned in terms of what defines Group 9 uh, on a molecular level across the company played in our favor. We were able to move really quickly uh, in terms of pivoting. For example, we launched uh, within weeks following the pandemic, we launched, as we've talked about before, um, now this had a new franchise uh, launch called Now End This Together, which was really about spotlighting heroes and um, and and the helpers and communities during the pandemic. And, and so that actually happened within two weeks of the pandemic. And we have literally sold every episode of that, um, you know, since July. So I would say mm-hmm. the thing that we shared in common with the industry was everybody took their licks in Q2. That was certainly when uh, March 13th on lockdown, everything sort of scrambled and the 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 prime beneficiary in a negative way was was Q2, but uh, 
Q3, we were really able to pick up uh, not just in this together. We launched new IP um, across a variety of brands. But I would say 2020 was an unimaginable year. Uh, but our brands really focused on finding new and innovative ways to connect with people. And I would say adding to that at the same time, not only was it about all the things that I mentioned, but our audience growth was just tremendous. And so some of that is the accelerant of the shift from in office to at home, the shift from digital, uh, from, from linear to digital, but it's also just by nature of who our brands are, who they represent. And we went from doing around 5 billion monthly views at the beginning of the year to ending around 7 billion. Uh, we saw our TikTok audience grow, uh, significantly. Um, we have now, uh, cumed up to reach over 25 million viewers across Snap. Um, as of Q4. And so we've seen tremendous audience growth throughout 2020. And the sort of coda on that was from an ad sales perspective, Q4 marked the strongest Q4 we've ever had on record. So I guess like, and I do want to ask a little bit more about um, Q4 as it is the strongest, as you mentioned, on record, but also, you know, year over year for your ad business in particular, um, was that, did that end up being up um, in revenue for you guys? Yeah, so we had a pretty big hit in Q2. Uh, we saw mm -hmm. incremental growth. So I kind of look at it as a first half, second half. Second half was uh, was a much different picture. Uh, we finished second half up year over year. Uh, we were still uh, for the full year closer to flat, uh, just based off of the 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 hit we took. In particular, based off of our exposure in certain categories like travel. Uh, right. Thrillist is so dependent on travel, and that went away and certainly retail took uh, a big hit as well. But um, mm -hmm. the tale of two halves where Q1 was kind of like the integration settling and then Q2 was the double hit of COVID. Uh, it was a vastly different second half with incremental growth in Q3 and then Q4 being um, the strongest we've ever had for the company. I think it's also slightly common um I've talked to a few publishers to say that like Q4 ended up being a very strong um, quarter for them, which is, you know, probably their saving grace in a lot of cases. Um, but I'm curious. So you mentioned that you're doing this very like endemic focus on some of these brands and really wanted to be the authority in, um, as you mentioned, the Dodo pet care and um, Thrillist travel, things of that nature. Um, I guess coming out of 2020, though, like, do you think that that is something that um, could potentially be? I don't want to say like detrimental, but it could to a degree um, impact business if, again, like travel ended up being, um, you know, put on ice for another year or so. Um, how are you thinking about these like endemic focuses um, while also making sure that like your ad business is staying um, on, a, on a growth tra trajectory? It's a great question. And I think the example I would give is the Dodo uh, specifically because it's so endemic, right? You can say Thrillist mm -hmm. is travel, but tra it's also experience. And it's, it's an experience brand, food, drink, travel. Uh, and whereas the more sort of apples to apples is the Dodo is a modern family brand that owns the, the, the pet space. And so the way that we saw the need to find those travel dollars from somewhere else or the retail dollars for somewhere else came through our strategy of saying we already own Endemic on the Dodo for pets. How do we own 
the non-endemic of modern family. And so we were able to drive mm. new relationships. So I guess like it's a sort of uh, long-winded answer of saying anytime you're you're backed into a corner, you tend to, if you have sort of like the fast twitch muscle fiber thinking, you're able to find new pathways really fast. Some organizations are able to do that. Others just sort of flail. I think, as I mentioned earlier, we move fast ethos, but also an operating guideline. And so from our perspective with the Dodo, we were able to then say, hey, look, the Dodo is truly on its way to being in the same category as Disney and Nick, modern family brand, family safe, brand safe, also safe on social, which became an issue. And so we were able to open the aperture of client partners on the Dodo and get brands like Kraft, get brands like Clorox, get Target. Uh, So our strategy is certainly to leverage the power of the portfolio. And if we, to your point, if we were one brand, we would definitely be stuck. Uh, But because we're five, we have that power of the portfolio opportunity to then say, how do we have a relationship here that can be leveraged over there? Or how do we open the aperture from one category to the next? The the CPG growth on the Dodo is definitely emblematic of that. So uh, you mentioned retail and travel as being two of those categories that um, obviously were down. But um, what were some of the ones that ended up being up this past year? Uh, pharma was up. Um, and mm-hmm. this is more over the counter, not, not uh, to direct to consumer specifically. Uh, CPG was way up. Um, Beauty was was slightly up. Um, tech was up pretty significantly as telecom as well, and then financial services. So I think really we saw pretty significant growth across the board with the exception of retail, um, the exception of travel. And then um, I would say media and entertainment is kind of like a toss up because the the theatrical obviously went away. Broadcast kind of was muted because of COVID production delays, and then the streaming wars, we benefited to some extent, but they didn't really heat up until the second half of the year. So uh, it wasn't like there was enough room in Q2, again, to kind of blunt the losses with with streaming. But streaming has come on pretty strong in uh, Q4 and now into Q1, and I certainly expect it'll be, uh, it'll be a growth category for us this year. I also wanted to ask about your uh, strategy for 2021 and um, your upfront deals and how you're kind of looking at this coming year. Um, are you still, I guess, I, well, I guess, what is your strategy for upfronts then um, when it comes to getting some of these like endemic um, advertisers into the mix? Are you like looking to sell most of your advertising for the year in upfront deals or, um, you know, what's your strategy there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the strategy is, is to some extent, to your point, if we have endemics and we have an endemic set and we feel as we do that we are a must buy, then of course we're going to marry their need with our limited supply to create a preferred working arrangement where if they buy up front, they get benefits that include obviously uh, efficiencies on the rates uh, but also value add in terms of uh, anything from research to uh, insights and audience extensions, uh, first looks, a wide variety of benefits that on the scatter side would not be there. Um, but really, the upfront philosophy is governed by 
We want to create lifetime value relationships with clients. We want to deliver white glove service. Uh, and we want to be able to leverage the full funnel capabilities that Group 9 has in order to really drive uh, business outcomes for our clients. And so the best articulation of that is an upfront. I would say the key difference for us is this is not a um, sort of marketplace driven upfront as you would see in TV. Um, we are seeing a shift and COVID certainly accelerated this, but we are seeing a shift from linear to connected TV as well as social video. So that marketplace for us is starting to develop, but our mm. approach to upfronts is not to go to market in the same fashion as, uh, as the, uh, the, the TV folks. It's more about the, the one-to-one relationship with a client and how we can build value uh, over a year, multiple years, uh, over the long term. Um, year over year, we're seeing uh, 20% growth already in terms of those upfront deals that we struck mm-hmm. for the following year. Um, and those upfronts also represent double digits of our total annual revenue. Um, so there's been a material increase there. But then there's also, like I said, the uh, the move towards more and more online video being bought from digital native publishers in an upfront fashion uh, on a more tactical basis. Got it. So you mentioned double digits of your overall revenue um, for the year. Does that mean like ha- like half of your deals are being done in upfronts? Um, <laughs> or no, no, it's le- it's 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 def- it's in the teens. You know, it's it's definitely, um, but that's grown considerably, and I think. Mm-hmm based on sort of the sum total of my experience coming from both legacy uh, print media as well as digital pure play, um, it's harder for anyone not in TV where there's a true marketplace to to queue up at significant levels. And, and anything in double digits, in my mind, is getting to a place of significance, especially when you have a sizable revenue goal uh, like we do, which of course, you know, I would I would love to share, but it's it's big. So I wanted to ask because I have also talked to some other publishers who are, um, I guess, uh, over the whole RFP process um, when it comes to ad sales and um, really wants to uh, change the way that these kind of deals are done by building, to your point, some more of those one to one relationships. Um That'll actually come up in a conversation on another episode of the Digiday podcast, um, so stay tuned. But also, um, I wanted to get your kind of thoughts on the RFP process and if that's something that's still pretty rooted in your um, ad sales, uh, you know, strategy right now. Or I guess generally, like, what are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, you know, it, the the sort of uh, get free from the RFP movement has been uh, in the ether for a very long time. It's sort of like the year mm-hmm. of mobile that was every year up until it was actually the year of mobile. Uh, There has to be a formulaic way in which agencies can process opportunities and evaluate opportunities. So I don't think that the RFP in its current form is going anywhere as much as we all would, myself included, like for it to be more efficient. uh, I just don't think that it will be efficient until um, clients can take more onus uh, for their role and say, here are the five partners I want to work with, RFP them, 
and make it a truly qualified evaluation. Right now, there still is too much spray and pray, and mm-hmm. 100, 200, 300 partners get RFP'd. You'll see some that just never get selected. Uh, so the way that we're thinking about it is a couple of different tactics uh, and strategies. On a strategic level, it's, uh, you know, for us, proactive is the path. And so we're proactively going to client directs and we're trying to take money off the table before the dollars are even allocated by medium or channel. Mm -hmm. And then even before, uh, you know, uh, you you can, if you can do that, you can sort of maximize what might have been a sliced and diced version of of what was normally um, at the onset in a robust budget, um, you wind up getting a pittance. So I think for us, pro, being um, proactive certainly helps. The other thing that we're really doing, especially as we've grown and, and the merger facilitated that, you know, being a, a central sales organization representing five brands, you have to be really efficient. And so we're looking at uh, close analysis by by account. So if we see, for example, we've lost three RFPs in a row, red flag. If we lost five, we do a sync with a variety of stakeholders. And we say, number one, are we really a fit for this brand? Number two, do we have something that they want? And if so, great. Why are we still losing? If we don't have what they want, then let's go back to them and just say, you know, diplomatically, hey, we really appreciate you considering us. We're not a fit. And so we're doing that. So we're trying to sort of take destiny into our own hands with the RFP process Mm -hmm. by uh, making it as uh, actionable as possible um, in in terms of increasing the close one uh, percentage versus just letting the sort of free market decide. And we just keep on responding to RFPs, keep losing. So uh, I think the answer is in the short term to sort of take matters into your own hands and and try to control the outcome as best you can. Is there anything, and you mentioned that um, there are some, you know, you would go to a partner and ask them, you know, is there something that you need that we're not currently like supplying, things like that? Like, I guess, are there any kinds of, um, uh, I don't I don't know what to call them, like category categories of campaigns or any types of like services that you're kind of providing right now that help you to win more of these like deals? Um, whether it's, I know a lot of um, advertisers have been interested in the past few months of doing these very like um, high level um, social awareness kind of campaigns that are tied to the the current events and things like that. Like, are you adding in um, those types of services within a campaign to help solve for some of those needs or wants of advertisers? Actually, this is a good way to, to kind of introduce how I'm thinking about 21, how do we add on to the vertical strategy? And so there's the vertical. So everybody has their finance, pharma, QSR, whatever their specialty is. And you go down that rabbit hole based on that vertical, whatever the client's needs are to your point, you're marrying up. They may be different from one category to the next. However, our horizontal focus in light of what you just said is threefold. One, our increased investment in multicultural uh, and what that means for all five of our brands, what that means for clients, our leveraging of corporate social responsibility 
uh, solutions and our, our contextualized product, which again, I could go into detail on. And then more recently, our push into performance marketing with the launch of G9 Direct. So when we think about how to limit those instances where uh, there isn't a an utterance of you don't have X, Y, and Z, and this is what we really want, uh, we go out to market with that approach of having the, the verticals and then the horizontal. Uh, we feel like mm-hmm. that creates that full funnel approach. So there's not uh, the, I would say the only times that we as digital native publishers might say, okay, you know what, we're, we're probably not a fit as a full episode player because we're just, we're not a TV provider. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, the social, the social uh, purpose, the corporate social responsibility, uh, all of those things have absolutely benefited uh, in particular on Pop Sugar, on Seeker, on Now This in different ways. And so on mm-hmm. now this, it might be through In This Together, which is exactly a vehicle, the perfect vehicle for corporate social responsibility, Pop Sugar, same thing for women's issues, Seeker for uh, technology, clean uh, technology, et cetera. Um, but, you know, I, I think it really depends on the issues. Uh, we feel like across the corporate social responsibility spectrum, all five of our brands plays a role. Um, Seeker Learning, for example, was a a destination we launched at the height of the pandemic that catered to at-home remote learning, uh, connected learning, whatever you want to call it. So all of those things have been issues that uh, matter to clients from a corporate social responsibility perspective, which is why it's this horizontal priority for us. And, and selling through in this together every episode since July, I think, again, is emblematic of to your point, the marketplace demand, and that's just one brand in now this. We've done, we've done that across the other four as well. Are these, um, I guess, you know, these horizontal focuses, um, did you hire for these kinds of, like, focuses, or how are you organizing your, um, your team to kind of hit both of those vertical and horizontals, um, as you mentioned? Yeah, we absolutely made investments beyond the uh, the, the content and IP development in particular for multicultural, uh, we have long focused on multicultural and this was about how do we super serve those audiences through the lens of intersectionality. So, uh, Sylvia Bandaris Coffinet is our new general manager of multicultural brand partnerships and marketing. And so, mm-hmm. um, she is really, at the forefront of our push internally. She's working with all the brand editorial leads. She's working with the marketing team, with the creative development team uh, to really help accelerate our push in terms of IP development, in terms of how do you leverage audience insights, in terms of anticipating the upcoming census data release uh, and pushing what is her vision, which is really uh, for nourishing a community based on the notion of intersectionality where the younger generation, uh, its culture, their culture is very important to them, uh, but they also live everyday lives and want to be served and seen in the same way as everyone else versus having a, a more siloed approach with dedicated channels. So as we move forward, uh, the goal is to become more and more intersectional. And and as that relates to the marketplace, when all of our sellers are going out. They're going out in, in sort of tandem with Sylvia's team. So she has a dedicated team we hired uh, of 
sales leaders who are also functioning as consultants. So they'll go and uh, build relationships with the Zubies of the world, um, with um, with the dedicated Latinx and and or um, you know black slash LGBTQIA plus agencies that are specialty agencies. But then they'll consult mm-hmm. and tag team with the general market whenever there's. Uh, multicultural requests. So it, 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 a, you know, it's reflective of the, the consumer need, which is always how we prioritize and B this structure allows for us to have real expertise when we go into meetings and to help create value for the clients to understand what the changing demographics mean for them and for their consumers. Got it. And I also wanted to, to talk about, cause I've, you know, been covering Group 9 um, pretty regularly, I'd say, since joining Digiday. Um, but in the past year, I have covered a few instances where you had really interesting, I think, and integrated um, brand activations. Um, one of them was that I recall is the um, video partnership um, for Thrillist with uh, Goldbelly, um, as well as uh, brand integrations for your commerce initiatives on um, like Swipe.shop. Can you talk about some of those uh, initiatives that you did around you know your content, your, your other businesses, and really embedding um, sponsorship into those? Yeah. Uh, so I think first and foremost, the answer is yes. We want to do more of those deals. We sort of can ladder it up to you know, these omni-channel type of deals where it's it's not just about creating content, but to your point, it's marrying content and commerce and product and experiences uh, and influencer. And so Swipe Shop was a great example of that. It was really uh, building digital storefronts curated across all five of our brands in ways that people want to shop. Uh, mm-hmm. And for example... We had 50% of the products uh, that our editors curated, uh, they were they were small business owner uh, products. 15% of the shelf space was reserved for black-owned businesses. Uh, the way that the editors curated them were really, again, very intuitive, not your standard, like, here's our holiday gift guide. Um, so, you know, marrying the consumer need with uh, a fresh take is definitely a, one of the ways that we think about differentiation, one of the ways that we think about these omni-channel solutions. Uh, now this next is another example where it could have been your uh, your sort of uh, formulaic, uh, you know, Time 100 or Forbes 30 Under or, in, you know, insert name here of let's honor someone for something. And now this next, which was the brand's first ever I- experiential IP, uh, was something that we launched in partnership with Vital Voices, which is a nonprofit, um, which was, again, unique because we did it in partnership with a, a, a nonprofit organization uh, dedicated to advancing uh, female entrepreneurs uh, globally. Um, and so now this next really allowed for us to kind of blow the dust off of a category, like I mentioned a couple of seconds ago. So that approach for us is, we did it with Swipe Shop. We wanted to kind of do a fresh modern take on on the online gift guide. With now this next, we wanted to um, sort of shake up and disrupt the category that you would classify as like, who are we honoring? Why are we honoring them? Let's put a number in front of it. And for example, with now this next, um, the partnership that we had was so powerful with Vital Voices, we were able to drive uh, uh, 
millions of views. We had a three-hour special that featured people at the time when this was October 18th that you may or may not have heard of. But a great example of why it works so well is is the approach of, of thinking about disruption allowed for us to feature people and be okay with featuring people that we know that our editors have curated, but maybe the everyday person had. And so at that time, for example, we featured Amanda Gorman, who mm-hmm. blew away everyone, myself included, uh, with her uh, reading at the Biden inaugural. And um, so I think all of these partnerships and or franchise launches are 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 have a common theme around disruption. We don't want to do the same old because our consumers don't. And, and the, the, the uh, magnetic pull of consumer need governs everything that we do, all the partnerships that we do. So I, back to your original question, I absolutely said yes at the beginning. I would say it's yes in all caps to end my sort of view of what 21 looks like. That's great. And, you know, to round it out, I think – I'm always excited to learn about kind of what's on the horizon, but, um, you know, any exciting, uh, brand activations or, um, any new projects coming up that you're excited to, um, work on this year? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, so G9 Direct, we launched in Q4 and that is our performance marketing solution for any brand that's looking, uh, for outcomes. It's basically built on the premise that, our brands have inherent trust. And if you're a startup or if you're a brand that's looking to drive to an outcome, the conversion rate will be higher because our brand is theoretically more trusted. And so we've had now some time to work with a wider variety of both DTC and established uh, brick and mortar, if you will, brands. And the Mm -hmm. success has been tremendous. We're driving a much more efficient cost per acquisition than uh, what they were seeing prior. So really, really excited about, if you think about most sales organizations will have the direct sold, they'll have the indirect sold. Um, we want to add on that third revenue stream of having performance. And mm-hmm. so really excited about the results that we're seeing and how that can become like a foundational, almost like what it's like to sell in print where you can sell pages, move on, This is not exactly that, but it's the closest you can get where you're forging these relationships. Our team on the back end is managing uh, how we're achieving the CPA goals that we've set forth and the salesperson can kind of set it and forget it. And so really excited about that. As far as other things on the horizon, we are absolutely having a variety of conversations across all the brands about IP extensions, uh, whether they be additional events, whether they be um, true brand extensions with products. So all those conversations are happening in real time. Um, It's about being optimistic. And I think our hopefulness is what's driving these brands that are coming to us and saying, hey, the Dodo brings all the warm fuzzies that any person could ever need. You watch an animal video and you, and you smile. How do we tap into that for my product? We're having that level of conversation uh, and it goes far beyond the tactical media. And I would say those conversations are all happening client direct at the highest level. So it's exciting to see the foundation that we built in 20 uh, really fuel momentum going into 21, allow us to do these like bigger omni-channel uh, multi media, multi-channel uh, deals that 
involve different decision makers, but all ladder back towards the overarching objective of whatever the CMO is looking to achieve. Well, that that was great. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being on today. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Kelly. Thanks again for tuning into the Digiday podcast. For more coverage of the media and marketing industries, check out digiday.com. If you're not already a member of Digiday Plus, be sure to subscribe to get exclusive content, research, guides, and more. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Digiday podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next week.